strange attraction, mass psychology, synchronicities, and occulted realities. Welcome to the Friday Farcast with Robert Phoenix. Winter is coming. Might just be the cold. Winter is coming! It's cold outside. You don't know cold. Winter is coming for him. It's either me or this cold, and it doesn't appear to be going anywhere. And winter is coming! You look cold, boys. It is a bit nippy. Winter is coming. Winter is coming. <laughs> That's cold. Winter is coming. Mm-hmm. I'm cold. It's cold and it's wet. Winter is coming. You're crying because you're cold. You're a long way from home. Winter is coming. I imagine you might be rather cold. And winter is coming. Oh, that's all right. I'm fine. You're not. You're freezing. All right, that was a little intro there for our guests, which we have on at the end of every month, the last Friday of every month. And of course, it's Russ Winter. Winter is coming and winter is here. So I just wanted to uh, drop that in there. That'll be our new intro from from when uh, Russ joins us. And speaking of joining, I have my wing cat, the producer of the show, Jasper right by my side today. It's always better. Show the quality of the show goes up when Jasper's here. So I'm glad Jasper could make it today. Um, I am wearing my true hemp science cap. And that's always a cue for me to talk about guess what? True hemp science. And I'm gonna just go over to the uh, true hemp science website here so we can get a little chilled out and uh, have that. ASMR, true CBD experience for just a moment. And I really caused a problem for Chris on Monday. Because after I did the Sunday night show, they got like, I think, eight orders. I mean, it's not a huge problem. It's actually a good problem to have. Uh, So the popularity of Chris's CBD, uh, the True Hemp Science CBD, which I have, again, stated over and over again, it's probably some of the best CBD I've ever had. And uh, his new hire, Marsha, which I've talked about before, um, she had studied CBD very intently and thought she had found the absolute, you know, top top of the pyramid, white label CBD uh, solution to her life. And then she found True Hemp Science. And uh, she is a firm believer. Uh, and now she's working uh, hand in hand with Chris and helping him manage this new dilemma in his life, which is the popularity of his products. So I talked about uh, moon dust and the moon dust has been really, really 
popular um, since I've been talking about it. In fact, I'm getting my first order of moon dust today. And uh, I, I think I had some last week and it was, it was great, really great. So if you're looking for a supplement to add to your smoothie or your coffee, which gives you some clarity and some focus. Um, and also you get some of the antioxidant and uh, benefits from CBD, which really helps with inflammation. This stuff is right up your alley. So if you go to truehempscience.com backslash ref backslash 23, that is the gateway. And if you type in 15 mins, one five M I N S you get free product. When you spend a hundred dollars or more, hundred, 150 or more, and you get free shipping. And Chris is incredibly generous with both his product and his time. A number of people have reached out to him and have uh, received some, you know, consultative uh, info around CBD and uh, what he believes could help them with their particular need for the CBD. And guess what, Jasper? They have CBD for pets too. Yes, they do. So there we go. We're going to get out of uh, ASMR, Amazon, cool, chill out, ambient world. And we're going to go right into bringing the man on. And of course, we're talking about Russ Winter. We're going to get into uh, the pink mafia today. And Russ has been really doing some heavy lifting around the subject. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an issue that can be triggering for a lot of people because a lot of people are, you know, hey, can't we all just get along and live our lives accordingly? And in the, in the spirit of that, which is a true libertarian spirit, the answer to that is yes. But in those cases, it can also be a very predatory environment, which emerges where people are allowing for a certain amount of what I would call deviance to enter into our society and enter into our daily interactions, particularly when it comes to children. So without any further delay, let's bring on the man, Mr. Russ Winter. Hi, Russ. Hi, they, they use that winter's coming line a lot. They, they do, don't they? They got about 200 times in every episode. <laughs> yeah, so this is, so what I was, so I thought to myself, I need to have like an, an intro for Russ. And I, what I was going to do is I, I was going to go onto YouTube and find as many examples of, hey, it's winter, it's winter time, right? And I was going to just like patch them all together. And then I found that. I'm like, well, I'm just going to use this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I use that. I even have that. I even have a beam on my site that basically says winter is coming. I know. I saw that, right? I saw that. after, And I knew it was there because I'd seen it before and I'd forgotten about it. But then I decided and I went to your website. Like, oh, yeah, he's already in on this. Um, so anyway, there you go. You've got your own intro now. Good. Super. I liked it. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> before we jump into, uh, the deep end of the pool here, what is going on in Prague these days? Um, well, we've got, uh, we've got 70,000 people showed up in Wenceslaus square and protested, against what's coming this winter. I think every picking of winter is coming. It's, uh, I think there's some fear. And, uh, you know, now with this pipeline being sabotaged, that kind of cuts off even more escape routes. So they've got Europe pretty boxed in. Right. And so how is the Czech Republic, are they 
neutral? Are they pro-Ukraine? Like, where are they? Well, it's, it's shifting. You know, that for a long for a long time, it was very welcoming to Ukrainians. And I, I, of course, I really feel for the Ukrainians because I have Ukrainian friends. And uh, so I, I, I actually talk with them a lot about this. But uh, I think the sentiment is changing. One of my friends, uh, they were on a, she was on a, uh, the Metro and some guy, some Czech guy was drunk and overheard him speaking Ukrainian and just came over and just harassed the hell out of him, started a big fight. And one of the men that was with them basically got into a fistic, one of the Czech men kind of came to their defense and got into a big fisticuff with this uh, drunk Czech guy. So that may be a reflection of some of the sentiment really changing because people are afraid. People, yeah. people don't want to sacrifice their lives for, over this. Right. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's very real here. I think yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll talk about it when we get into the winter. We'll, uh, we'll know more. We, it, it definitely feels like we're coming to that line in the sand moment, right? Like, you know, which side are you going to be on here? Um, you know, with this, uh, what, what feels like a global push. This is really what it feels like. And Europe right now is definitely, you know, reanimating the ghost and the spirit of both world wars. And so here we are again, a lot of the same players, a lot of the same states uh, jumping back in, reigniting some old conflicts, old tensions. Poland demanded that Germany give them reparations about three weeks ago. For World War II, and of course, Germany told me to go sit on well, it. See, I, see po- Poland may have been the one that did this. Poland and the United States may have been the one that sabotaged this pipeline. That's kind of my theory. Well, they have, it, they have a new really pipeline go through there, right? Right. Yeah, it gives them a lot more power, and they're a lot more anti-Russian because the Germans have kind of been dragged along. Yeah. And there's kind of limits to what they do because they've been they're, you know, they, they've been uh, cut off from their energy. And now that pipeline, I mean, we could, of course, we're going to do a different show today, but that's just kind of what, what, what I would say. And it's just amazing how every time you turn around, another nuke plant is down for a week and they shut this down and shut that down. It just all seems a little contrived. It seems like a, a planned uh, demolition, right? This is what it really feels yeah. like. It's like and yeah. so they turn the power off in the middle of winter during one of these storms. Uh, maybe we'll have to, because I guess we can't, we can't come back online because I won't have, I won't have any way to communicate. We'll have to, we'll have to like wire up the ham radio or something. <laughs> the old days, the old Bill Cooper days. Um, well, let's get into the subject at hand. And you've been doing some absolutely stellar work diving into some unsolved mysteries. I think you're really good at that. Uh, and one of the things that you've been writing about, I think the, the latest from the 26th, is this case with uh, the Georgia Senator, Nancy Schaefer, uh, with, again, one of these bizarre suicides that it just doesn't match up. Nothing really makes sense about it. So I'm going to go to your page here on the website, and I'm going to let you navigate through what you were able to find with, with uh, Senator Schaefer. And let's crawl down this rabbit hole here. Well, to research this, I had to go to Gibaru. I couldn't find anything on her on Google. I mean, anything out of the ordinary besides right. the narrative. And uh, 
you know, he had to really dig down into the back of the bowels of Gibaru to find some interesting aspects to this case because I, I, I just think she's really been deep sixed. And they they really did a number on her. And so she, since she, she was kind of a religious uh, politician from Georgia, conservative, and really had a problem with the child protective services in particular. So this one isn't so much, but she was also uh, aligned against the homosexual or gay agenda. So she kind of made herself a lightning rod for all that broad, all those broad issues. Right. Right. Yeah. But in particular, particular, she thought there was trafficking going on and she did some investigations that she was ready to, uh, she she was in possession of damaging and dispositive information associated with prominent people in Georgia who had participated in and benefited in one form from, or another from activities involving human trafficking operations centered on child protective services. So she was about to go uh, on a, do a video. Uh, she's very outspoken. She had been defeated for her third term as a state senator. Basically, the she was Republican. The Republican Party kind of abandoned her and got rid, of, you know, got rid of her. She was wasn't in the in the mix there. You see this with the Republican Party. Uh, they are just incredibly quick to exit stage left or help put the knife in the back of somebody that theoretically they should be supporting. Later on in the show, we're going to get into Anita Bryant a little bit. And the same thing happened to her, by the way. Um, and again, conservative, religious background, um, kind of the same deal, although not an elected official. So this happens, I think what the Van Camp stuff was in the 90s, right, where they were exposing what was going on in uh, Omaha, Boys Town, right. that, whole, that whole pipeline, which led right to uh, the White House under the Bush administration. So this is a little bit later than that, but they are related. These two things are related. And she's yeah, this, covering this is, this is 1991. So what, ha- what happened is- that, That's right uh, around the same time, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened is that she uh, and her husband allegedly- her husband killed her and shot himself. That's the story. Right. You know, not for any particular reason. Apparently, they were being—they uh, were kind of risking being foreclosed on their house. But they had wealth. They had extra, they had other wealth. That wasn't the end of the line for them financially. So that, that there's a little bit of stress on them. But they'd been married for 50 years. So right. even if for some reason her husband was depressed or. Uh, depressed about things, why would she? Why would he kill his lifelong wife? Dude, none, know, of wife? Sen- none of that makes any no. sense. A lot of these suicides never make sense. Yeah, especially these mutual suicides. So he might say, okay, I've shot, he sh- shoots himself, but to drag her into it is kind of like a no starter for me. It's a right. red flag. Yeah. So, so but, but like we see so much with the Lugan press, they just kind of immediately proclaimed it a murder-suicide. They just ran with that narrative really heavily. And there was a, they even kind of ran a story from a political opponent of hers uh, declaring that it was a murder-suicide before the investigation had even started. So they had a, cor- a chorus. And then some people in Georgia started being outspoken, you know, questioning the whole situation. And they closed down their comments. So, the, you know, kind of early Facebook 
iteration. So, so thing- what is what is I noticed something here the the Georgia Eagle Forum. What do you know about that? I just think that was a, a group that was uh, dealing that she led was dealing with child protective services and some of the abuses that were going on there. And apparently a lot of parents joined it that had been kind of caught up in this thing. And subsequently it's been shown even before and since that child protective services is a cesspool. Mm-hmm. And at the bottom of this article, I have about 10 examples of some of the pedos and pederasts and, uh, people involved that were arrested that were in child protective services at the end of this article. It's kind of the closer on it since the debt, you know, you could kind of scroll down the page and see what I mean. Uh, Let's get into, let's get into the ballistics part of this before we go down to that part. So you made a pretty interesting observation about, the handgun or the gun that was used and how the ballistics don't really match. Well, I made an observation about the Georgia Bureau of Investigations, so-called investigation. And this Geraldo Favorito at the time, now he's nowhere to be seen now because this is 30 years ago, but at the time he he got a hold of the GBI report and dissected it. And and I've just kind of extracted from some of his observations. So yeah, go ahead and go, go through that. So they weren't killed with a small caliber gun that the family knew they owned. They were killed with a high, higher caliber. And this is really critical here, untraceable weapon. Like, I'm, you know, I'm, I bet these people were by the book, right? They registered their firearms, you know, because you'll see this when people are kind of decidedly in the right camp. You know, most cases they want to play by the know, rules, right? Play by the rules, right? They don't want to be outed for, you know, cutting corners or most of the time, not all the time. So they have an untraceable weapon that no family member had ever seen before. Now, in terms of her family, what are we talking about? Kids here, like multiple kids? Oh, yeah, yeah, huge family, including grandchildren. So they had right. no reason. They had no reason to check out at all. Right. So let's go down this uh, rabbit hole a little bit. The weapon was originally shipped to a dealer in a remote part of southern Florida, and the ownership records have since been destroyed. The case was case file was unable to establish how the Schaefers, who lived in Georgia during the 1980s, acquired the murder weapon. It also contains no explanation as to why Bruce would not use the gun he already owned to commit the crime. That's a whole Occam's razor thing, right? Like if yep. you want to do it, you got, th- you got something that's available. Why would you go out of your way to get an exotic weapon, which is untraceable in order to do this. Yeah, and then the next and the next statement is critical. A double killing with an untraceable gun should have automatically trigger, triggered a normal normal murder investigation that would have considered all possible scenarios. So the G, the GBI, which I happen I happen you know probably not one of these corrupt law enforcement agencies that we talk about a lot. It's a kind of epidemic at this stage. Right. Just dropped the ball. They didn't they didn't do any ballistics on the interior of the house, fingerprinting, any anything that would rule out foul play. They just declared it a murder suicide. Yeah, this reminds me of a lot of the coroner reports from Arkansas when it when it came to the Clinton world and how they had a completely corrupt coroner that would just gloss over any kind of death or um uh, you know, injury, mostly death, by the way, uh, when it came to, you know, Mina, uh, Little Rock, the Clintons and Arkansas. So 
this this thing where you know they have people inserted in these key agencies to just cover the tracks seems like it's pretty ubiquitous it's not it's not a it's not a random kind of rogue outfit it seems to be pretty much everywhere yeah they just this is by the book i mean you know the epstein thing of course same same concept no no real investigation controversy but no real investigation so uh so there were no forensics they didn't they didn't check the blood or the they just rubber stamped this thing so double suicide and then they moved on with all these anomalies yeah, and then he left this really detailed suicide note found at the scene. And the case file shows that the GBI performed no handwriting analysis to authenticate that these were written from Bruce Schaefer, the husband. What do we know about him? What was his background? Uh, he, he was kind of a successful businessman. He, very, he was very supportive of his wife. They were kind of tied together uh, constantly. They very rarely let each other out of each other's uh site so you know they went back to high school 50 years of marriage to you know to be murdered in this fashion is just that doesn't make sense at all that makes zero sense right you've invested 50 years of your life with somebody uh you know strong religious belief faith by the way if you really tunnel down into christianity uh, committing suicide is a sin, right? Like it is a one-way ticket to hell. So why would they do that? Right? And committing another... suicide, committing suicide, and then murdering your wife, right? Like they might have had some kind of a pact or something. And uh, somebody, somebody it was a hit. This is a hit, right? So the GBI also destroyed all the items seized or created an autopsy. So now their actions can be uh, reviewed or questioned. So they just went, they clean. they were a cleanup. They were a cleanup crew. That's what they were, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So let's go in here a little bit. It is particularly ironic that the Atlanta Journal-Constitution chose to quote State Senator Don Thomas in their March 26th article about Senator Schaefer's death. Uh, the AGC, AJC portrayed him as a friend of the couple, even though he lives on the other side of the state from the Schaefer family, it was diametrically opposed to many of their core beliefs. That's interesting. What about this guy, this Don Thomas guy? Uh, chairman of the Health Human Services Committee, and uh, he uh, should have been a, a help to clean up the corruption of the agencies, the uh, Child Protection Service, but instead he constantly advocated increased power and authority for the uh, Child Protective, in spite of the evidence showing the organization was misusing their authority. So he was actually a political opponent of uh, Schaefer posing as a friend to set the narrative. So, I mean, does that mean he was involved directly in some way? Uh, you know, you really got to question people's motives. The, the newspaper calls you up and asks you to run a, a suicide murder narrative before there's even an investigation, even the shoddy investigation that they did hadn't been completed. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of 9-11 when right after, I mean, right after this thing happens, they have the guy in the street who is clearly an actor and he's there yeah. to just, you know, tell everybody about what just happened, who was involved and what the outcome of this whole thing is going to be. That happens within like the first 30 minutes of. So yeah, by yeah, the book, by the book. Yeah. They're getting out by in front the of it and then they're creating the new narrative around this thing. 
Um, so Senator Thomas, the chairman of the Health and Human Services Committee, immediately propagated and expanded the murder-suicide theory without any firsthand knowledge or evidence. It is disturbing. Absolutely. Um, activists supporting Senator Schaefer explained that he constantly advocated increased power and authority in DFCS in spite of the evidence showing the organization was misusing that authority. Interesting. Uh, in Schaefer's own report, linked below, she calls on a video interview a scathing report. She pointed out the strong, vicious opposition that she encountered. So do we have video here of her? Is this in this? Yeah, I just have, you can, she's making a speech. There's, there's her statement right there, right above there, the bold part right there. Yeah. Kind of go through that because that's kind of what, she, this is what she had in her report. All right. So I'm going to read this and then let's play some of that video. Let's get a, a taste the video of, kind uh, of pretty much just repeats this, but you can kind of get a look at her and see what she was like. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the you know, the voice, the tone, the vibration, right. all these things are really important. Uh, the Department of Child Protective has become a protected empire built on taking children and separating families. This is not to say that there are not those children who need to be removed from wretched situations and need protection. However, my report is concerned with the children and parents caught up in legal kidnapping. Having worked with probably 300 cases statewide and hundreds and hundreds across the country, and in nearly every state, I'm convinced there is no accountability in CPS. I've come to several conclusions. Two or three uh, are one, that poor parents, not always, but oftentimes are targeted to lose their children because they do not have the wherewithal to hire an attorney and fight the system. That's interesting. So it's predatory. It's a predatory system. Uh, yeah, you know, and the other, just to, to address for a minute, the other uh, predatory system is care of of uh, older people. Oh, I have, I actually have an anecdote to share with that, by the way. Go ahead, keep going. I want, I want, well, I, 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 wrote, I, wrote, I wrote a completely different post on that, which is listed. It's called, uh, where is that? It's, uh, uh, where is that? I just, I just wanted to mention this. The name of the article is More American Gangsterism, Elder Exploitation Through the Involuntary Conservatorship Racket. So there's rackets, forms of exploitation. In the case of the older people, it's just ripping them off, stealing their money most of the time. Let me, let me, let me uh, just chime in on that a little bit and add uh, a personal real-time insight and experience. So there is somebody that I know, She, I don't think she watches my show, but I'm in pretty close communication with her. And she is dealing with a sibling. Uh, I believe he is a younger sibling. And he's gone through a uh, transformation and not a good one. Like he's gone from being a guy that, had a wife, a career, I mean, all the things that, and a good career too. This was not somebody who, it was creative. He was a photographer and he had really high level clients. It all falls apart and he descends into this very weird world where it's, if you put the pieces together, he's doing things that are drug related. He'd already been in rehab once. Anyway, long story short, she is trying to, everything in her power to have the older version or the older version of CPS come in 
and do something with this brother who is completely tormenting her mother. It's elder abuse. I've seen pictures of the house. There's clutter and junk everywhere. This is the mother's house. He moved in. And there are even some examples of what looks like drug use that are on the table. Um, there's clearly a number of references to guns, AR-15s. I'm not here to demonize an AR-15. But if you were somebody like for this uh, Elder Protective Services and you would see this stuff, you would think it would be a red flag. They're not doing anything. They're mm. not doing anything in this case. They're essentially letting this brother completely terrorize and demonize this woman's mother. And, and the mother is terrified. And unless the mother actually does something and says something, they can't do anything. So this is some malfeasance that is being perpetrated by this, you know, you know, theoretical government agency. The question to that end is why? Why are they allowing it to happen? You know, why, why, why are they not stepping in? So to your point, this is going on on the other end as well. Right. Conservatorship, conservatorships, which are usually uh, ripoffs, scams. Yep. They just take the money of older people. But yep. anyway, back to the, uh, the, the CPS, her comments. She's got the caseworkers and social workers are very often guilty of fraud. They withhold or destroy evidence. They fabricate evidence. And they seek to terminate parental rights unnecessarily that the separation of families and the snatching of children is growing as the business grows. Because the business, growing governments. as the business grows. Right. This is big money. Big money. Taxpayer dollars to get in there. And, you know, it's kind of like COVID. Every time you get a, a COVID case in the hospital, they pay a huge amount of money. Incentives are all wrong. Yeah. It's like, a, it's like being paid for a scalp. Right. Um, Let's see what else we have. The bureaucracy is huge. Look at who's getting paid. State employees, attorneys, court investigators, guardian ad litem, court personnel, and judges. There are psychologists, therapists, psychiatrists, counselors, foster parents, adoptive parents, and on and on. All are looking to the children in state custody to provide job security. So this is an income stream for these people. Yeah, big bureaucracy. Yeah, and they're all... And infest, and infested with some nasty people, so that these types of organizations, so they have, you know, they give you power, and uh, you know, there's tra there's trafficking going on, right? Legal, tra theoretically legal trafficking. It's theoretically legal because they're operating in the best interest, supposedly, of the child to remove them from that home. So they had this legislation called the Adoption Safe Family Act that basically offered cash bonuses to the states for every child they adopted out of foster care. So, so there's this, your speech. And this was this was a, a, a Mondale thing or Walter Mondale. And later, Mondale, and, uh, Mondale and Clinton, Bill Clinton. Cash bonuses. So it brings us right back into Arkansas again. Interesting. All right, let's uh, let's hear what Nancy Schaefer has to say about this. Well, my name is Nancy Schaefer, and um, I'm from the state of Georgia, in the United States. And um, thank you for your gracious invitation to join you tonight. And uh, 
thanks to all of you who have made this incredible World Congress of Families number five in Amsterdam possible. It's a privilege for me to join you tonight and uh, to be with you in some pro-family uh, policy here. Uh, I will share with you on the unlimited power of Child Protective Services. I served in the Georgia State Senate and after four years of viewing the ruthless and unsparing actions of Child Protective Services, also called CPS, which I will use tonight, I wrote a scathing report entitled The Corrupt Business of Child Protective Services. Thank you. The report cost me my Senate seat. Here's some copies of the report if you'd like to get one. However, there are causes worth losing over. And this is one. I'm going to uh, uh, talk about some of the problems and then some realistic, maybe, solutions uh, for families and children and uh, maybe look to some steps that we can take. This is not to say that there are not those children in wretched situations who need to be removed. There are, and we all agree. But tonight, I'm talking about those children removed from their homes intentionally for profit. Children are seized unnecessarily from their families due to the federal aid created in 1974 entitled the Adoption and Safe Families Act. It offers financial incentives to the states that increase adoption numbers. To receive the adoption incentives or bonuses, local CPS must have more children. They must have more merchandise to sell. Funding is available when a child is placed in a foster home with strangers or placed in a mental health facility and medicated usually against the parent's wishes. Parents are victimized by the system that makes a profit for holding children longer and bonuses for not returning children to their parents. This is abuse of power. It is lack of accountability. And it is a growing criminal political phenomenon spreading around the globe. Oftentimes, but not always, poor parents are targeted to lose their children because they do not have the wherewithal to hire an attorney or fight the system. Being poor and lacking proper housing does not mean your children should be removed. CPS has redefined poor to mean psychologically inferior. Mm. Therefore, it is in the best interest of the child to be removed. Best interest, of course, has also been redefined at the child's expense. It has been reported over and over that six times as many children die in foster care 
than in the general public. Once a child is legally kidnapped and placed in official safety, the child is far more likely to suffer abuse, including sexual molestation and or rape. Case workers and social workers are often guilty of fraud. They withhold and destroy evidence, and they seek wrongly to terminate parental rights while being protected by state immunity. Mm. There is a huge bureaucracy made up of judges, court-appointed attorneys, guardian ad litems, social workers, state employees, court investigators, therapists, uh, psychologists, psychiatrists, foster parents, adoptive parents, and on and on, who are looking to the children in state care for their job security. Judges have control over private living arrangements and income of 48.3 million Americans. The United States Census Bureau reported in 2002 that 40 billion in transfer payments were made between households of custody parents and other parents. 40 billion? That money, 40 what a ra- billion, what a racket. is under the direction and control of family court mm-hmm. judges. In environments covered with confidentiality laws that protect the wrong people. Fathers are victims of this unjust system. All right. So I want to do the part two part, but I want a couple comments there um, that I want to. I think think we've pretty much covered her her views. That's probably good. Now, I I was going to add that you're asking about the relationship between them, the husband and her. Uh, Here it says, you hardly ever saw one without the other, said Buster Smith, who Bruce often visited when Nancy came to town for their Clarkville, from the Clarkville home to get her hair done. Smith saw Bruce Schaefer on the last Tuesday of his life when he stopped by his furniture store. He seemed like his old self. I have a hard time believing it happened like it happened. Now, they were also receiving death threats. So... That, but no, but nobody, ever, nobody ever connected the dots with that, though. No, no, apparently not. Right. Uh, so that that I think that pretty much covers. So that, that, that that's some real 1984 shit, though, right? Like they redefine what poor means, and poor poor is is translated into a psychological condition, right? right. I'm like, you got to be kidding me, you know? So somebody who may not have a lot of uh, financial wherewithal, but is still trying to hold their family together, right? Now they're defined as being psychologically bereft of any kind of, uh, you know, emotional emotional abundance or anything that's, you know, associated with. So, so they're just automatically stamped unfit, right? They just, that's what they did. They changed the language. They changed the definition. And the other thing that's interesting, they do this all the time is they called it what uh the the adoption and safe families act it's anything but safe right they do this all the time they invert all these things all the time they did it with the patriot act you know the patriot act has nothing to do with being patriotic right it's all about surveillance and limiting 
freedom and travel of movement, liberty of movement, right? So again, this is a, a clear, you know, dark op here. Yeah, and then since the death of the Schaefers, the evidence continues to map that CPS has been infested with dubious characters. Here's some examples. I just went on the internet and just found these examples. Uh, here's one this year. Ex, ex-attorney for Utah's Child Protection Division now accused of producing child porn. Uh, child Protective Service staff member, I'll just say, I won't say his name, blank, was arrested on July 2013 for purchasing nearly $7,000 worth of child pornography, a.k.a. rape and torture. According to the criminal complaint against Blank, a 1987 police report alleged that Schaefer sexually molested a boy between the age of eight and nine, and the report alleges that incident happened when he was a child protective service employee. Wow. Uh, here's another one of the most horrific examples of state-sponsored child abuse in recent history. A lawsuit alleges that the Department of Child Safety in Arizona placed a toddler with a man who ran a pornographic pedophile ring out of his home. Oh, According to the lawsuit, the foster mother burned her with scalding water over 80% of her body. 2019, a serial pedophile's employment with, with the uh, Chicago Public schools had remained largely hidden, according to a report. This is Chicago Tribune. At one point, CPS even denied that man even worked for the district, the Tribune reported. Thomas Hacker, who died in prison at 81, sexually abused hundreds of children in Illinois and Indiana as a Catholic church employee, a scout leader, and park district employee, according to the report. He was hired by CPS in 1970 and remained in his position for 10 years, despite being convicted of sexually abusing boys twice during his time there. Uh, the Department of Justice cracked down on suspected child predators within government child protective agencies picking up stream. Now, this is post the murder of Schaefer. Schaefer right, right. Uh, the United States Attorney's Office for District of New Jersey announced an Atlantic County, New Jersey man who had previously been employed by the Department of Child Protective Child Protection was charged today for allegedly receiving and distributing and producing images of child sexual abuse, the U.S. attorney had announced. And then there's four or five more for, it's kind of all, kind of a broken record, four or five more. So you can find, you can find these stories easily. That took no research. Right. It's all on the surface. $40 billion in 1990 uh, economy or 1990s economy that's huge. Like $40 billion back then is probably more like $50 billion now. Um, that's a huge amount of money. Yeah. You know, there was a case here in Texas. I wasn't living here. I was living in uh, California, but I remember reading about this. And it was these two guys from Texas who had adopted um, a young boy from Russia. And they wound up essentially turning him out, putting him into uh, pornographic videos, and eventually they killed him. I don't know whatever happened to them. Yeah, but I can remember that case. They're homosexual, yeah, homosexual couple. Right. And I don't know what happened to them, but I don't think that's uncommon. I mean, it's a lot more common than people want to realize. Well, and, that, and that's the ones that get caught. Yeah. Because they're not really uh, investigating this stuff. This Utah thing, is interesting 
because something popped up on my radar in the last 24 hours regarding Utah. And this is a little bit of a detour, but we'll get back to this because I think it's relevant. So I've been, I've been tracking this young woman named Malika Andrews, who is really causing a stir in the sports world. I don't know if you've been following what happened with Ime Odoka, the coach of the Boston Celtics, but he got suspended for a year for having more than one affair with somebody inside of the Celtics organization. And Malika Andrews has been thrust into prominence very quickly on ESPN. And almost always her takes are incredibly divisive. She talks about racism and sexism, those and without fail. Now, this is a person who graduated from the University of Portland in 2018. And by 2021, she's like the lead person on one of the biggest NBA shows on TV, which is so the she, jump. So she, so she came out of the Portland cesspool. Educated well, here's what's interesting. This is the Utah connection. She was raised in Oakland. Uh, her mother happens to be Jewish and more than likely socialist because her mother's grandfather is a, a, a lefty social justice uh, attorney in California, and she interned with him for a year. But here's the Utah piece. She goes to this Tony private school in Oakland, costs a lot of money to go there, but she spends a year in what they call a therapeutic boarding school in Utah. So I went online and I started to look up therapeutic boarding schools in Utah. And Utah has like a, a monopoly on these therapeutic boarding schools. Like what is going on there? Like, you mm -hmm. know, like in Kerrville, which is just south of me, it's like recovery central. It's like, it's like we've got, you know, tons of recovery uh, facilities in Kerrville. A lot of famous people go there to dry out. So when you go to these, into these therapeutic boarding schools, what are they dealing with? They're dealing with people, young people that either have anger issues or they have depression issues, right? Mental health issues. So something weird is going on in Utah. And, and I think it would be an interesting um, little point of conversation at some point to kind of go down that rabbit hole, because it's clear that this guy that you were talking about emerges out of Utah. And it's almost like there's this whole network potentially where they're going through and they're either reprogramming or grooming these, these young people who seem to be pretty imbalanced. And so with her, she goes up to Portland, you, you know, lo, you know, loony lefty Ben. And then, and, and check this out. Cause I know this will hit home. Well, how'd she get hooked up to the Celtics? You get a job with them? No, no. Listen to this though. No, here's what happens. She graduates from, uh, Portland U in 2018 by 2019 she's working for the Chicago Tribune covering the Bulls and the Bucks who does this right, right? who does this nobody Tur does it's the old turtle on the fence post theory yeah totally promoted right yeah, who, put then, the tur who put that turtle on the fence post <laughs> exactly and now she's on ESPN and she's become really? this divisive lightning rod where wow, everything is wild. about, it's totally wild. And the big thing here is this year that she spends in this therapeutic boarding school in Utah. It's like, it's almost like 
you know, getting, she's being the old M- MK ultra, right. She's being groomed along the way. So anyway, I just wanted to take that little bit of a detour because you did bring up Utah and it got on my radar last night when I started to look at the Malika Andrews stuff. Well, let's, so, let's shift over, let's shift over to Alfred Kuntz. I think we covered uh, Nancy Schaefer and okay. I, I, I wanted to do her a little bit of justice because there sure isn't much justice for her on, on the, the web. All right, so I'm get... kind of proud. I'm kind of proud of that article actually. And I got a little uh, piece here with uh, the Coons stuff that I'm going to bring in when you're done with it. Okay, here we go. So, so who is he and why do we need to know about him? Another one of these guys that was standing up to the, uh, Lavender Mafia in the church. Right. And uh, was kind of dealing with a lot of these, uh, mostly mostly in the church is pederasty. You know, it's the priests that are molesting the uh, young boys. Right. Not so much, not, not so much pedophilia. It's uh, so he was a traditional Catholic parish priest who was murdered in cold blood, ritualistic style. So there's no question that he was murdered. Nobody's even questioning that. His throat was cut inside his church in 1998. Murders unsolved. Police have refused to cooperate with the TV series True, True Crime. They're seeking to examine the cold case. And they had just pre-recorded several episodes of a show, radio show, which he did regularly. And he, apparently he'd been investigating a series of homosexual pederast and sexual abuse allegations in the Diocese of Springfield, Illinois, planning on reading the names of corrupt police uh, priests on a show. So, man, that's taking a risk. That's taking a risk. Yep. Uh, he had refused to accept the postmodern Second Vatican Council because he's very conservative. Right. Uh, he's very prescient because starting a few years after the murder, the church was just broadside of the slew of pederast allegations. The Diocese of Milwaukee, Chicago, Minneapolis in particular were epicenters of this. And he had served for 31 years in Wisconsin at this one church in, in Dane, Wisconsin. Right. So they... Events transpiring after the murder of Father Kuntz, and I, you know, clearly uh, he was targeted. Sure. Yep. So tar- they paid it. They paid out a two hundred ten million dollars settlement. This was so he died in what two thousand and nine? Is that right? In nineteen ninety eight. Nineteen ninety eight. Twenty years so later. They, so basically, they're just gushing forward with just massive settlements for this pederasty that's been going on in these dioceses. And uh, here's this this Rebert Weekland, who was the Archbishop of Milwaukee during this period. He right. openly admitted to being gay and having many partners in life. Throughout his term in office for 45 years, he continuously opposed the Pope and the Holy See on many issues, particularly criticizing and rejecting the, the teaching of the Magisterium on homosexuality. Well, that's probably your guy. That's probably your guy, the organizer of the hit, hit on Kuntz right there. Right. Or one, right. Of, or one of his associates. So the Milwaukee, you know, they settled all these cases. Attorney for some of the victims alleges that there were more than 8,000 cases of abuse by more than 100 staff. So you have one lone guy, Alfred Kuntz, talking about this stuff. And may fascinate him. This is this is Giuseppe territory. He's from Wisconsin, but he has some insight into this whole thing. 
Um, let's, so they have, a, they have a way of shutting people up, don't they? Well, they do. And then there's this kind of post-mortem settlement. You got 8,000 cases. That's, that's huge. Well, this is the damage that came later after Kunst, what Kunst was warning against. It's huge. And this is just you know, in one area of Wisconsin. You'd basically say you're going to lose your flock. You're going to lose your flock. You're going to lose your credibility as a church. This is going to destroy the church. That's what he was saying. Right. So then he was connected with this guy, Father John O'Connor. Was he one of the guys that did these radio broadcasts? Is I that think what so. Yeah. I think, he, I think he did. I think that's what he was known for. And they, uh, they kicked him out of the church. They just basically booted him. Right. A large Dominican monastery in Iowa. He was a member of the monastery, ultimately became a font for future trouble for the church. O'Connor also described the Chicago area priory as a homosexual brothel. That's pretty consistent with Chicago. Right. Bathhouse Barry. Um, right. In addition, O'Connor exposed Freemasonry, the anti-Christ communist movement, and the New Age occult practices taking place in the church. So O'Connor was a marked man, too. What happened to him? Uh, he, he, they didn't kill him, but they kicked him out of the church. They excommunicated him, booted him. So now he's in the naming name. Superior Cardinal Joseph Louis Bernadine, his Dominican brothers, Benedict Ashley, William Bernanke, and Peter... Wachuski and his Dominican superior, Donald Gergen, um, as members of the Lavender Mafia, superior barred young men from joining the Dominicans if they refused to accept sodomy and homosexuality as a viable uh, lifestyle alternative. He had been informed of this by several young males who had sought ordination. Wow. So they're like, we're not interested in you unless you want to take it up the butt if you want to take it up the butt you can you know yeah you or, or, your ranks. Or, your, or at minimum you're willing to look the other way wow but more more likely they'd probably rape you at some point and that's kind right. of what this one one guy that they were working with o'connor and uh Kuntz, scott and they demonized him they, they set him up on some kind of a false uh, fraud charge that eventually the down in st louis where he was living right and ultimately, the sheriff of uh, uh, or the law enforcement that was involved had to was pretty much caught setting him up. Really? Yeah, read the, go go down to that. It's down the page. Just look at that. Okay. Make sure. I, so okay, so now who is Scott? You mentioned okay, Scott right up here. a little bit up a little bit higher. Okay, right there, Scott. Father Ryan Patrick Scott. Okay. Okay. Scott and O'Connor and Kuntz, who is a lawyer, Kuntz is a lawyer, were assisting a whistleblower named Father Ryan Scott. So Scott had a lot of knowledge on abusive priests due to having been abused himself. As a young man, he was gang raped in a church. Kuntz had confronted many of the accused priests, and none of them denied the misconduct, according to Scott. In 1996, when I brought this forward in a private meeting with the with the uh, diocese officials in La Crosse, the inf information I provided was used against me in the form of public defamation, denouncement, libel, and slander. Now, wh why would somebody why would somebody come up with charges like that if it, there wasn't some basis for it? Right, right. They're on the attack. They want to defame. They want to defame the person. 
Right. So he said he said in a 2002 press conference for clerical abuse victims, because I came forward, the bishop had me jailed for 23 days under false charges. And while I was being held, the same bishop obtained a restraining order forbidding me to speak to him for three years. Wow. In 1998, my confessor, spiritual director, friend and colleague, Father Alfred Kuntz, was brutally murdered in his church just prior to substantiating not only my story, but the scandal itself that is rocking the Catholic Church today. So he was murdered actually in the church? Yeah, Kuntz was. That's like a ritual sacrifice. Yeah. It's not just a murder. That's a ritual sacrifice. Yep. Yep. So so he says in early 76, as a young religious man, he was gang-raped. He was lured there under false pretenses by a fellow priest and set up for humiliation and bodily harm. So then he provides the names of all the priests who assaulted him, and then Kuntz confronted this police. So what I'm interested in is a little bit further down how they framed framed the Scott guy. Okay, Scott himself is subject to what we would suspect as a torment smear campaign and gang stalking campaign. You can see this concocted. Con- so they, if you go to his Wikipedia page, it's a hit on him. Mm-hmm. He's portrayed as a con man that he did some kind of a con. Mm-hmm. All it really says doesn't say anything else about him. It, it kind of mentions these allegations in passing. What Wikipedia hacks fail to mention is that Father Scott was able to prevail in a 2016 malicious prosecution suit and was awarded $92,000 against the Howard County, Missouri Sheriff's Office for bringing trumped up charges. Scott, no doubt, has an incredible story, but par for the course, no, never seems to have been granted a fair hearing in the Lugan press. Now, I've tried to find him talking about this, and he's kind of disappeared. Right. Right. Um, He's no longer, apparently no longer involved in the church. Yeah. Like, what do you do with your life after something like this? I mean, yeah. just, there's no new normal. There was no, to, there was no normal to, anyway. And you go to Wikipedia and they're calling you a con man. Right. Um, so here we got uh, Dane, Wisconsin police suggest their suspect left town right after the murder and has never returned. Police said they're keeping an eye on him, but don't they had a suspect. He, they had a suspect. a threat to the community. It's like weird. Like, okay, well, he might have done it. He's under our watchful gaze, just in case he might do something wrong again. That is just bizarre. And then he just flies the coop. <laughs> so, so this was on the forensic files. This case, which is on Netflix, is that well? Right? No, I, I just got. I, I don't know why I mentioned this, but I have. If you read, if you look at the forensic files, they're always mentioning key suspects and cases that were ultimately solved before even naming the real culprit. It's not unusual to name suspects. Right. I'm kind of amazed. You know, somebody will be a suspect in some murder, and uh, it turns out somebody else do- does it, but they'll go ahead and kind of, some way kind of smear the suspect. Right. That's kind of sketchy, the way they do it. I'm kind of right. going, wow, that just seems like that's stepping over the bounds. So not, so they're not even willing to name this guy, the suspect? But they then, then they turned their their gun barrels on the guy who is talking about this and accusing him of being a con man. And it's just, uh, again, this is, this is how this inversion or this inverted system works. 
Yeah, it's it's almost like black magic. It's like a it's like an act of black magic when they do things like this. Um, so who's Maureen O'Leary? She's a school principal. Yeah, it's a friend of uh, Father Kuntz. And so Larry claims that she heard Kuntz having a heated art discussion on the phone the morning he died. Mm -hmm. She could not make out who he was talking to. Not only was O'Leary uncooperative with the investigation, but she also told detectives they were never going to solve the case. So well, that's telling me that maybe O'Leary has a good idea who did it. You know, came from high authority. So it says here that authorities suspected that O'Leary was intimate with Coons. Is there any, any truth to that? Well, they kind of throw that out there, don't they? Just to kind of cloud the issue. Right. Right. Well, at least he's a woman. <laughs> so, right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and over age too, by the way, you get double bonus points for that. Um, so Coons was quickly smeared with unfounded allegations over 2,500 people were interviewed during the investigation. Uh, from those interviews, police suggested that Coons had been having a sexual relationship for two decades, or at least two women, that a 2008 damage his reputation done. Authorities officially ruled out that impropriety was related to his death. Oh, he was buddies with Malachi Martin. Yes. Interesting. Now, he's a controversial character. We've talked about him on the show at length before. Windswept Church. Uh, he's a very controversial character. You know, what these guys are all about is they understand, I think, the difference between good and evil. Well, they're on the front lines with it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, and it says here that Martin alleges that he had been killed by Luciferians and said Coons had performed several exorcisms before his death. Martin said Coons told him his life was in danger in the weeks before his murder. For those looking for more dot connecting about the resistance against evil in the spiritual world, we'll see Netflix's hostage to the devil. So that's the the, the documentary on Malachi Martin, right? Right. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. kind of worth watching. He's an interesting character. Controversial. A lot of people think he was uh I mean he's been smeared. Sure. He is all he's kind of all over the place. Um but he actually, you know Nails a couple of things to the wall and um, has then, Holly, then Hollywood checks in. I, I remember this movie. I remember watching this movie in down in Brazil. And uh, it's a 2008 gaslighting movie around a priest. Mm -hmm. This uh, called Doubt. Right. I have such doubts. It's just false memory narrative. <laughs> it's just basically the false memory narrative that they kind of pull on this, this sister who suspects, you know, and has pretty strong evidence that this uh, teacher, priest, is molesting the, some of the boys in the school. But they would, turn it I, on her. They kind of turn it on her at the end. They kind of, you know, she's, they gaslighted her. It's right. classic. I, I would play this, except I don't want to get, I don't want this show to get tagged. And because uh, there could be some copyright issues with this video. So I'm gonna I'm gonna skip playing it, although I'd like to play it. Um, it also brings to mind the movie that won a lot of Oscars and accolades. The movie Spotlight. Have you ever seen that? I've heard the term. So that came the out, I think, around 2017 or 2018. And it, essentially, what it was was uh, illuminating. There's the spotlight term, illuminating the. Uh, you know, the chicanery 
behind the uh, you know behind the wall of the Catholic Church, molestation, child abuse, pederasty, right? So there was a big Hollywood movie that was dedicated to this. And what's interesting about something like that, right? When they do a film like Spotlight, it, it does a couple of things. Number one, it brings attention to the subject, but then it's almost like, well, we've done our due diligence, we've exposed this, and now we can move on, right? Like it, it in some ways, it like closes a chapter on this particular subject, but does it really close the chapter? Yeah. Cause it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The infestations are getting even bigger. So I, I'd almost equate this uh, Meryl Streep character in this movie doubt, almost like uh Schaefer, that type of personality. Right. And, but they just, the, the way they made that is a very well-made movie, but as a propaganda piece, they just basically dump it on, on this sister at the end, you know, oh, you're just imagining things, you know, maybe I have doubts. Maybe, maybe that's not really what I saw. Right. And then leaves the viewer walking away going, Oh, these people are nuts. You know, they're, they are crazy. So they successfully gaslighted, gaslighted this Meryl Streep character. So I was looking at the relationship between. Go ahead uh, and play it. (laughs) You you want me to play it? Okay. I don't think it's, Right. It's just a movie. It's a clip. It's kind of a clip of the movie that they put out. I have I have been flagged for clips, by the way. But I'll play it. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends. Like they could take the show down if they want to. Okay. Okay. I don't want to. I don't want to mess mess. Well, it up, I mean, we're you know, I like this to be a record of what we're doing. And if it was on my YouTube, my 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 website channel, we could we could do it. Well, you can go to my article, and anybody can watch it if they want to. Okay. Normally, so, I would do it, but I yeah, want to make sure that we. I want to make sure this show stays up. Okay. Um, so that's that's okay. Move on. We got other things to cover anyway. <laughs> yeah. So I I kind of followed your lead on the Catholic thing, and then I wanted to uh, kind of take a look into. Uh, like what goes on with the Jesuits and homosexuality, the, you know, the, the, their version of the lavender mafia. So I found this really interesting story that is um, concurrent and current really comes out in 2019. Pope meets with Jesuit targeted by conservatives for gay outreach. The Jesuit Reverend James Martin, no relationship to Malachi Martin, is the author of Building a Bridge, a book about how the Catholic Church should reach out more to the LGBT community. So I'm going to read this here. Pope Francis met privately Monday with an American Jesuit who's been attacked by conservative U.S. Catholics for reaching out to gays, the latest evidence of Francis's willingness to shrug off right-wing criticism for the sake of his pastoral priorities. The Vatican listed the audience with Reverend James Martin among the Pope's daily activities, so they have to keep a record of who he sees. In a sign that Francis wanted it publicized, since only some of Francis's private meetings are announced, the implicit message was a public vote of confidence in Martin's ministry. Martin, the author of Building a Bridge, a book about how the Catholic community should reach out more to the LGBT community, has had several talks canceled in the United States because of pressure from conservative groups who oppose his advocacy. The Vatican under Francis has welcomed him. However, However, appointing him as a communications consultant, giving him a speaking slot at a 2018 Vatican-sponsored family rally 
and now a private people. So the Vatican hired him. Well, that's not, that's nothing. That's nothing new at all there. They've got, they've, they've got archbishops. They've got bishops. Right. They've got, they've got this uh, lavender mafia everywhere. And there's a really great clip. Oh, we got to see that. Let's watch this. Uh, You know, I got this article, this Bella, Bella Dodd, Bella Dodd. That was on the, uh, that was on the previous uh, page here. So I'm going to, I know where to go. Okay, let's let's look at a, let's look at this clip that I have in the first paragraph of these. Oh, so that page is a four hundred four now. It is. Did you know that uh, your Bella Dodd your Bella Dodd link I, is a four hundred four? I, I have it. I have it. Let me send it to you real quick. It's coming up for me. Okay, that's interesting. I'll show you on your website. Can you put it in the chat here? Or because on I, I, re, I what I did is I re ran it. I don't know when I sent that to you. Uh, let's see. You can either put it in chat or you can put it on uh, Twitter, Twitter, the Twitter direct message. Either way, that's the best way to do it. Okay, yeah. Because I want you, I want to see, I want you to see the treatment that the Pope gets from these uh, these uh, high-ranking German officials. There, I can okay. just send it to you. Yeah, I got it. So Pope Benedict XVI said in his first speech in 2005, pray for me that I may not flee for fear of the wolves. Many believes he was speaking about the Lavender Mafia, a homosexual collective that infested the church. The following video shows the Pope getting the cold shoulder treatment from a group of of, uh, German clerics. And a 2018 report states that 5% of the German uh, clergy was involved in abuse so look at this scene can you see it yeah This is the pope Bowiem na początku tego oficjalnego powitania, to najpierw prezydent przedstawiał Ojcu Świętemu swoich pracowników, pracowników, można powiedzieć, swojej kancelarii. Tym razem Ojciec Święty, że przedstawia kierunku Warszawy Popiskiego. No właśnie, czyli tutaj razem Jak zawsze widzieliśmy Ojcu Świętemu towarzyszy sekretarz stanu Stolicy Apostolskiej, ksiądz kardynał. So, I would say it's probably about 70-30. Is there more? Should I play more? No, that's it. Yeah, so that's about 70-30. So about 70% did not shake his hand. Also, the color of their of their tiny hats and their sashes are pretty interesting, right? I mean, they're basically wearing lavender tiny hats. Yeah, so this is this is right in the heart of when Benedict was kind of going after this issue, and of course they just they got rid of him too. They got rid of him. You know, the, people made a lot of jokes about Benedict looking like one of the Sith lords from Star Wars. But this was a guy who was kind of a hardcore, old school Catholic conservative 
who was trying to root out some of this corruption. And there was, and I'm, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a huge Pope guy or a Catholic. I'm not a Catholic. I'm not a huge Pope person, but I distinctly remember what looked like a smear campaign for a very long period of time while this guy was Pope. And every picture that was taken of him, he looked evil and craggy. And, you know, when probably in actuality, he was trying to, you know, route out some of these. Um, well, th- this is right when the church is just being overwhelmed, right in the thick of it. In fact, it came almost right after the scene right here. Yeah. When they're just, they're just paying out billions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars in settlements, all these different uh, dioceses. Right. Just ruining the reputation of the church, huge uh, financial settlements. So here's a little bit on these offending cleric. There's a report called the John Jay Reports report that uh, the primary issue is homosexual pederasty, not pedophilia. So pederasty is defined as having sexual interest in mid to late adolescence, generally 13 to 18 years old. So of, of the sexual offenders, 32% were these pederasts. Right. 15% preferred 11 and 12 year olds, both female and male. And 47% were indiscriminate or mildly indiscriminate. But 81% of the abuse victims in the U.S. were male. And a separate study by Dr. Plant concluded the number be as, as high as 90%. So these priests are not going after young girls. Right. 90%. That's that's a that, staggering number. That, just t- that tells you that there's a real, big problem of pederasty in that clergy. Wow. Because they're going after young boys, not girls. You know, girls, you could probably go, oh, okay, well, all right. Maybe that makes a little sense. Did so you the, make this graph or did you find this graph? No, that's that's in that study, this J, J study. Look at that. 60%. And then you get into the destruction of the Boy Scouts of America. And there's your Bella Dodd uh, in the Whitaker Chambers thing. Yeah, again, again, billions of dollars in settlements in the Boy Scouts being infested with pederasts. Right. Yeah. To the point now, it's almost that they're almost a laughing stock. Right. Right. So we're wa- we're watching the deconstruction, the not so indiscriminate destruction of these institutions, and um, it's pretty pervasive. Right. Everything that theoretically has been created to um, form a bond, uh, an organizing principle, some distribution of morality so that people can understand what the hell right is and wrong is and live their life accordingly. A lot of this has been corrupted now and everything is inverted. So all of that, all those values are now demonized. To, to, to the point that half of those or over half of those German clergy just treated the Pope like shit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, shame on you. Shame, shame on you what you've done to this church. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Complete eye opener there. Um, so then you have this other article, which is, I guess it's the, uh, is it the Ames articles that. Um... Yeah, this is, this is interesting because they, they, Ames was, uh, a very well, August Ames is her name. Let me get the article. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull it up here. I just had it on the, and then I think I, I lost it here. Let me see if I can find. She's it. a por- she's a porn star, a very high ranking. I don't know if they rank porn. Oh star. right, you, yeah, yeah. Let me let me go back into Twitter because you sent it to me there. 
it's right there. Okay. So the name of the article is The Suicide of Porn Actress August Ames, Something's Rotten in Ventura. This is in 2017. So there's a quote from Bill Mayer. I think there's a gay mafia. If you cross them, you get, you'll get whacked. I really do. You do get whacked. I really do, Bill Mayer. So this, her name is Mercedes Grabowski. Yeah. You see the article? Yeah, I do. I have it up here. See the photo of her? Yep, there she is. So she she was 23, and what uh, top of the what, top of the game in the pornography industry, you know, highly sought after. Did a huge number of 270 films in four years. Oh, so I mean, this isn't the same. This is not the same category of person as these heroes that we've just been talking about. But I think it does kind of illustrate uh, something. So the narrative goes that her body was discovered hanging in a public park approximately 20 miles from her, 20 minutes from her home in California. Authorities ruled her death as a suicide and said her death was caused by asphyxiation. So the headline says, porn star August Ames commits suicide after being bullied, after bullying for refusing to have sex with a man who did gay porn. So she wouldn't do, she wouldn't do crossover actors. Right. She she was she said I'm bisexual, but I don't want to do crossover acting because of, because of my risk to my health. So she she felt that there's a higher chance of getting AIDS or whatever. I don't know. Exactly Monkeypox, right? Um, yeah. Monkey so, so is Jenna Jameson covering the tracks? Is that what she's doing? Now, Jenna Jameson came to her defense. Jenna Jameson follows me on Twitter. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> that happened a few weeks ago. Uh, she thinks she thinks this is very suspicious. So let's see. We when we saw this event, it struck us how the Lugan Press seemed to be working off a script, one that portrays this hardened alpha woman as so thin-skinned that she committed suicide because of cyberbullying. Um, so you think that she was she was offed because. Yeah. Yeah, because actually you could go back at the time. I went back and I was looking at all the Twitter feed that was going on. Right. She wasn't really being cyber bullied. I mean, I would say people were kind of giving her a hard time. Here's this one guy. Here's a typical comment. Now, this is not really this is not really cyber bullying. Brian L., you see that? Right. He says, as a gay man who works in HIV prevention, your stigmatizing language is troubling. Wouldn't it stand to reason if they were shooting a scene for a straight company that they would have had the proper testing to do that scene? You know, that's debating. That's not cyberbullying. Do you right. consider that cyberbullying? No. Lots of statements like that. No. So, you know, at one point, some real hardcore guys show up. Bruce Beckman. Turns out being an uneducated homophobe didn't get you a pat on the head. Maybe next time before you word, vo you word vomit for attention. Okay, that's a little tougher language. That's kind of borderline cyberbullying. Right. But so then, is, is, he a, is he a porn star, gay yeah, porn star? Yeah, right. So, I mean, think of it, this is an industry dispute. This is a dispute within this industry of these men that are homosexuals that do, you know, swing both ways in these films are protecting their turf because if a, if somebody like Janet Jameson and 
August Ames starts lobbying not to do scenes with them, that cuts them out of their work, right? Right. So this is a labor issue, if you can put it that way. So uh, now this guy, now this this is bordering on cyberbullying. Yeah. The apology were for you to swallow a cyanide pill, either or we'll take it. Like we'll take your life. That's what he's. That's what he's insinuating. That's a threat. Yeah, that's that a is threat. a direct. That is a direct threat. Uh, okay, however, so- by December fourth, they for Twitter comments were largely supportive. Um, and when I use the term PJW, that means pervert justice warriors. Right. Pervert justice warriors are going to scream, you know, all your homophobic and one trick pony jabs and and move on. But I don't think the cyber bullying narrative combines it just doesn't that's not what i saw right now she may have been sensitive to what was going on being criticized and maybe she kind of regretted saying what she did on twitter but what was aim's state of mind okay going through her still public tweets before her death wanted to describe her as a hardened alpha personality so she's a tough gal yeah you know if you're going to do 270 porn videos, porn films, you're not a delicate little flower. No, no. So she she was found hanged in a public park. That's a gang gang move. That's a total gang move. Let's lead up to it a little bit. She was joked about the the animosity to our thinking and even setting aside the ridiculous of the PJW worldview and controversy. It takes a real stretch to think a woman of this nature would crack because of disapproval from a small group of extremist homosexual PJWs. So that my night, she's got kind of a little humor thing, right? You know that es- escalated fact, right? The Fuhrer by late on the December fourth, the Fuhrer had died down. So what does Ames do in her fu- in her final hours of life at? Uh, 11.40 p.m., hours before her quote-unquote suicide, she promotes herself right up to the bitter end. Right. So she's going to go up and Adam Ames, August Ames fan and do a a tweet? Right. Only fan, tweet. Instagram, wishlist, Twitter. Yeah. You don't do that. No. You don't Besides do that. promotion, August was enjoying coffee and weed at 10.30 on her last night. Haunting, mm-hmm. no? Truly has the hallmarks of a suicide person, not. So she says, coffee and weed. That's her last tweet. Yep. Okay. Yep. And the fishy nature of the alleged suicide. The first report was that she had hung herself. Only later did we learn that she was ha- found hanging at 3.45 a.m. in a public park with a supposed suicide note in her car. The note made no mention of the homophobic row. Drugs or alcohol were not found at the scene or in her car. Displaying a dead body hanging in a public park would be a calling card of elements wishing to make a larger point to send a message. Women generally use more discreet methods like drugs and leave much left of a net. So it's going to dry. And and then there's big firestorms all night. There are 50 mile per hour winds, severe fires. So for her to get in her car after working, after she works out at the gym, she goes to after work out at the gym. She goes and gets in her car and drives 30 miles, 20 miles down the road to some obscure park in a neighboring right. town yep. and hangs herself. Right. No, it doesn't make any sense. No, I mean, it's another, 
you know, piece in this puzzle where the pieces don't fit. No. You know, like this it, doesn't it, fit. No, Ames is universally described as kind-hearted. She said she was sexually abused as a child. Abuse was a hot-button issue so for her. So the idea that such a person would be insensitive enough to leave her dead body hanging in a public park to possibly traumatize children, that doesn't combine either. This no. was an act of insult and degradation. Yeah. And, man, she, there, there's nobody... There's nobody, but everybody believes that everybody believes the conventional narrative on this one. Right. Right. Yep. Well, I mean, she's a marginalized person, right? She's in porn. She was sexually abused. uh, So that, that, you know, it makes it a lot easier for people to sign off on whatever, whatever they want to ascribe to her death or her motive. Right. Tilt your camera down a little bit. We were kind of missing your face there. Okay. Let me see. Oh, okay. There we Sorry. go. All right. No problem. <laughs> um, yeah. So there we go. There's another example. Now we're starting to get pretty hardcore here because we started off with the, uh, uh, the non-ecumenical world, right? Which, which has to do with Nancy Schaefer, CPS, and what we would call theoretically the legal marketing a distribution and trafficking of young people, right? Now we move into the ecumenical world after that with Father Coons and, you know, that network, which is a different network, but it's still a network, right? Now we move into another world, which is much more explicitly hardcore. And now we're encroaching into the hardcore kind of gay territory. So we've just looked at three separate worlds, where three separate people with three separate issues uh, and relationships and insights. But, but, but all world. relating to all re- relating to turf struggles. And, That's you know. right. That's exactly where I was going. But when you add all three of them together, all of a sudden, whether they're connected or not connected, right? It's like, wow, this is a huge issue and a huge problem because there's levels of exploitation, distribution of product, vis-a-vis the children or, and, or being able to earn or make a living and, you know, cross over with uh, gay porn, straight porn, whatever. And then of course the exploitation of young men through the Catholic church. So this is really problematic. Yeah. Don't, and don't stand in their way. No. Um, so I wanted to bring Anita Bryant into the discussion a little bit because Anita Bryant is a very, uh, I wouldn't call her necessarily unusual, but in some ways she is because of what was going on with Anita Bryant at the time. And she doesn't meet uh, a, 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 you know, a mortal, mortal end like uh, Nancy Schaefer does, but her career meets a mortal end. The weird thing about Anita Bryant is that she comes from a military background and then she's got this kind of weird run with Bob Hope and the USO. And, and Bob Hope has been named time and time again uh, in, in the world of uh, pedophilia, trafficking, MK Ultra. He, you know, he was considered to be, you know, one of the one of the master MK Ultra handlers. And if you go back and watch Apocalypse Now, the director's cut, there's a scene in Apocalypse Now 
where they're right at the edge of like the river. And there's this kind of USO style scene right. where these women come out and they dance. And I think the song is, uh, is it Susie Q by Creedence Clearwater? I think that's the tune. And right. the guys go absolutely nuts, right? Now, what's interesting is that in the regular apocalypse now, you don't see what happens upstream or downstream further, downriver further. So they encounter this group again in, in kind of this final outpost where nobody knows what's going on. Bullets are flying. Everybody's trying to get fuel. And the Frederick Forrest character known as Chef in, in that movie encounters one of these women inside of the, of the bus. Now, I don't know. You know, I think this is a combination of Milius and Coppola and Lucas, and they're all kind of writing the script together. But what's interesting about that scene is that one of the women is she's portrayed as being almost soulless and vacuous. And I think she starts talking about birds and birds play kind of a large role in this whole MK ultra monarch world. You know, they talk about like Robins and, and so, so she's getting this whole bird thing and she's talking to Frederick Forrest, like she's like a mindless bot. And that's all related peripherally to Bob Hope and the USO. When he would bring all these women out, people like Raquel Welch and, um, you know, and the, oh, who's the other one? Um, married to Lance Rensel, Joey Heatherton, right? So now we're getting into kind of MK Ultra world. Now, and so she's got this weird connection with um, Bob Hope and the army. and But she spent a lot of time also, so here she is right here. Yeah, performing on multiple White House functions, including the Democratic Convention and the Republican Convention. That's right. So she's nonpartisan. And, and, and joining Hope over seven years as a, as a USO. Right. So she is, and who knows, maybe, maybe she's a little uh, mind controlled. But at the end of the day, she starts to, to rail against the rise of homosexual culture. And the thing that's interesting about Anita, Anita Bryant is the headway that she makes. Like she is in, in that world, she is dangerous because she has so much credibility around being this sort of moral pillar, right? And this connection to people inside of the White House, the, the Democrats, the Republicans, Bob Hope. So let's get into this a little bit here. This is where she really starts to um, kind of come out as an activist. On March 23rd, which is two days off of her birthday, she's born March 25th. So she's an Aries, which means she's you know kind of a lightning rod. Brian participated in a rally for decency at the Orange Bowl uh, to protest an incident involving Jim Morrison in the Doors performance in Miami, Florida, 1969. Fast forward to 1977, Dade County, Florida, passed an ordinance sponsored by Brian's former friend, Ruth Shack, that prohibited discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. Bryant led a highly publicized campaign to repeal the ordinance as the leader of a coalition named Save Our Children. The campaign was based on conservative Christian beliefs regarding the sinfulness of homosexuality and the proposed threat of homosexual recruitment of children and child molestation. That's really what she's working on is this part, the recruitment 
and and child because this is this is a very important piece here. What we she, call now is what we call now is grooming. Exactly, like, you know, she's way these, ahead of the curve here. She says what these people really want, hidden behind obscure legal phrases, is the legal right to propose to our children that theirs is an acceptable alternate way of life. I will lead such a crusade to stop it as this country has not seen before. So this is what she says here. She also perpetuated the idea, of course, Wikipedia is going to slant this, but she perpetuated the idea of the gay community recruiting children through child abuse to become homosexuals themselves when Shaq and other leaders refused to vote in opposition to the ordinance as per her request she started promoting fear in the press to get families on her side. She stated in the news that recruitment of our children is absolutely necessary for the survival and growth of homosexuality. For since homosexuals cannot reproduce, they must recruit, must freshen their ranks. The campaign marked the beginning of an organized opposition to gay rights that spread across the nation. Jerry Falwell Sr., somebody I can't really get behind. She gets behind her. She goes to Miami. He goes to Miami to help Brian. She made the following statements during the campaign. As a mother, I know homosexuals cannot biologically reproduce children. Therefore, they must recruit our children. And if gays are granted rights, next we'll have to give rights to prostitutes. Probably the term really isn't recruit. It's indoctrinate. So they've indoctrinated a whole generation. Listen to what she has to say here. She's way ahead of the curve. And to people who sleep with St. Bernard's and to nail biters. She also said, all America and the world will hear what the people have said, and with God's continued help, we will prevail in our fight to repeal similar laws throughout the nation. Then she says, notably, Brian referred to gay people as human garbage. Pretty strong statement. But what she's really nailing here is the special interest groups, right? People who sleep with St. Bernard's to nail biters. And where are we now? We, We have become so inclusive that every special interest groups, even ones that 10 years ago, we would, we would have labeled and branded, um, you know, obscene uh, and, and dangerous. Like the welcome ad has been rolled out here. The drag queen story hours. Exactly. So, so, you know, Anita Bryant is white and uptight, right. But she is, you know, nailing this thing way ahead of her time. So here's where, where things, she starts to make real headway. On June 7th, 1977, Bryant's campaign led to the repeal of the anti-discrimination ordinance by a margin of 69 to 31%. However, the success of Bryant's campaign galvanized her opponents. So now all of a sudden, the gay mafia wakes up, the pink mafia wakes up, and they're like, we got to take this person down. Uh, the gay community. Retaliated. She was a sp- she was a spokesman for Orange Juice, right? Well, this is what happens, right? Yeah. They led a boycott of Florida Orange Juice to hit these people in the pocket financially. So this was a galvanized reaction to what she was doing. Uh, gay bars all over North America stopped serving screwdrivers and replaced them with the Anita Bryant cocktail, which was made with vodka and apple juice, which sounds disgusting, by the way. Um, also merchandise such as buttons, bumper stickers, and t-shirts with slogans such as a day without human rights is like a day without sunshine were sold to push the anti-discrimination movement further. Sales of proceeds went to gay rights activists, helped fund their fight against Bryant and her campaign. Florida legislatures approved a measure prohibiting gay adoption. The ban was overturned more than 30 years later when November 25th, 
2008 Miami-Dade Circuit Judge Cindy S. Letterman declared it unconstitutional. So for 30 years in Florida, you could not, if you were gay, you could not legally adopt a child. This was all based on Anita Bryant's work. Bryant became one of the first persons to be publicly pied. That incident is a training point for Anita Bryant. Her, but her response was pretty funny, actually. Uh, during a television appearance in Iowa, October 14, 1977, Bryant was struck by a pie thrown in by Tom L. Higgins, who's now deceased. Brian quipped, at least, at least it's a fruit pie. <laughs> like, you got you to be kind of on your game to make a quippy comment like that. Uh, making a pun on the derogatory sort of fruit for a gay man. While covered in pie, she began to pray to God to forgive the activist for his deviant lifestyle before bursting into tears as the cameras continued rolling. Brian's husband said he would not retaliate, but followed the protesters outside and threw a pie at them. By the time gay actors ensured that the boycott on Florida orange juice had become more prominent, it was supported by many celebrities. So now we have, you know, the the uh, uh, the wing that comes in and supports the game. Uh, Paul Williams, the singer-songwriter Vincent Price, who joked in a television interview that Oscar Wilde's a woman of no importance, referred to her. Jane Fonda. Now Johnny Carson made it a point to continue to publicly deride Anita Bryant on his talk show. So he would he would uh, continue to skew her. Johnny Carson also made Brian a regular target of ridicule in his nightly monologues. In 1978, Brian and Rob Green told uh, the, the story of their campaign in the book at any cost. The gay community continued to regard Brian's name as synonymous with bigotry and homophobia. But at the same time, her name became a call to action for gay rights activists and motivated many depicted her events, host anti-Bryant protests across the country, and increased attendance of- Yeah, if any, uh, anything she get, yeah, she galvanized them. She exactly. totally galvanized them. So some, some, kind of, some type of a dialectic going on here. So she, this is the turning point for her. She led several more campaigns around the country to repeal local anti-discrimination ordinances, including campaigns in St. Paul, Minnesota, Wichita, Kansas, and Eugene, Oregon. In 1978, her success, so she is like making people aware of what's happening. People are waking up and they go, okay, maybe we should limit access to our kids, right? Maybe we should, you know, put a stop to this or, you know, pump the brakes on this. So then she like starts this, the Briggs Initiative in California, which is a whole other thing. So John Briggs, I think, was a representative who backed her, which would have made pro-gay statements regarding homosexual or, or homosexuality by any public school employee cause her dismissal. Again, she's way ahead of the curve. Well, that's been right? flipped completely over. <laughs> she was way ahead of the curve. She saw where this thing was going. But here's what happens. Grassroots liberal organizers, chiefly in L.A. and the San Francisco Bay Area, organized to defeat the initiative days before the election, the California democratic party opposed the proposed legislation. But watch this president, Jimmy Carter. So he's president at the time, governor, Jerry Brown, former president, Gerald Ford, who's a big time NK ultra handler and former governor, Ronald Reagan, then planning to run for the presidency, all voiced opposition to the initiative. And it ultimately suffered a massive defeat at the polls so here you go. You got you got a bipartisan 
team, right? This is, you know, it's like you got these disparate individuals, theoretically, Ford and Reagan, Carter and Brown. They all team up. They go after John Briggs. They go after Anita Bryant. And this is the turning point for her. This, the, she suffers a massive defeat. And then that is sort of the, 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 you know, the other side of the mountain for Anita Bryant. In 1998, Dade County narrowly reinstated the ordinance by a narrow seven to six vote, protecting individuals from discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. In 2002, a ballot initiated to repeal the 1998 law called Amendment 14 was voted down by 56% of the voters. The Florida statute forbidding gay adoption was upheld uh, in 2004 by an appellate court against constitutional challenge, but then was overturned in 2008 by a Miami-Dade Circuit Court uh, judge. So then this is really about how her sponsorships and how the businesses. Yeah, another, another crash and burn. Total crash, crash and burn. But she was, she, she was ahead of the curve. You know, whatever you think of Anita Bryant or cheesy music or whatever, you know, she was sounding the clarion call that this is where things were going. And then we see this galvanization and what we would call the pink or the lavender mafia just organize. And even all the way up to the bipartisan. And by the way, in that, uh, you know, that, that uh, uh, what do you call it, quartet, right? You have Jerry Brown, who's a Jesuit right, schooled in Santa Clara University. Uh, Jimmy Carter, who's a member of the- um, uh, Evangelicals, yeah. Not, Evangelicals. not just the Evangelicals, but uh, the Council on Foreign Relations and the Trilateral Commission. Carter was promoted to presidency by the Trilateral Commission. Then you have Reagan, who was promoted by Lou Wasserman, the kingmaker, Right. So Reagan's going to be in on this thing. And then Jerry Ford, who's an MK ultra handler, steps in for Richard Nixon as president, uh, wife, Betty Ford. And I think if I'm not mistaken, was, was Betty Ford related to Earl Warren? Cause Betty Ford's maiden name is Warren. And wasn't Gerald Ford on the war? Gerald, I think Gerald yeah, Ford Earl Warren, on the Warren Earl Commission. Warren is, yeah. Earl, Earl Warren is totally, I have an article on him. He's totally mafia. Right. So then we get in this whole idea of the mafia, right? So we're talking about the lavender mafia or the pink mafia, but then we have these other mafias. We have the Italian mafia, the Sicilian mafioso, and then you have the kosher, the kosher nostra, which is literally the Jewish mafia, right? And there seems to be either direct or indirect collusion around all of them, right? Because you have the motion picture industry, Los Angeles, you have things like even like orange juice, you know, orange juice is a publicly traded commodity, which is connected to things like um, the, the commodities market, right? The futures market. And that's a whole mafia run thing too. You have hedge funds, which are basically legal mafias that go in, they muscle in, they can raise the price of something, they can drop the price of something. So, you know, we're really looking at either a direct or indirect network of all these forces that collude to move their interests forward. Monetary um, and the monetary piece happening or related to here, children. Children, the sex trade, trafficking inside the Catholic Church, grooming. outside the Catholic Church, right? It's all connected. Yep, grooming. Grooming, absolutely. Um, I was going to get into the Harry Hay thing a little bit. 
I'm not much sure how much we want to get into because I've covered him before, but he's another one of these pivotal characters. And Harry Hay winds up in Los Angeles and he's connected to people like Will Gear, whose grandpa on uh, the Waltons. Now he was, uh, now he was, he's Nambla, right? Well, he's more than Nambla. He's also a communist, right? He's a full fledged communist. And he was actually outed, uh, you know, during the McCarthy trials. He winds up leaving L.A. because there's too much heat in L.A. Um, and then he's connected to this guy, Rudy Gerenreich, who's a major fashion designer and creates the monokini and all, the, all, this, all this crap. But then he goes to San Francisco. And, and I was always wondering, how did San Francisco become the epicenter of gay culture and politics? It's Harry Hay. He relocates his, um, essentially, his, his uh his political organization to San Francisco. And from there, it attracts people like Harvey Milk and all these other people who begin to move into the Polk district, the Castro district. And then he goes dark, but yes, he is an early uh, proponent of NAMBLA, clearly an early proponent of NAMBLA. And, um, you know, they, so they've tried to massage this a little bit in retrospect and cover the tracks but, you know, I've pointed out that that's patently false. So Harry Hay is a really disruptive uh, uh, individual. So when you want to look at something like the Lavender Mafia or the Lavender Mob or the Pink Mafia, Harry Hay is, is one of the dons. Well, you know, you, you fast forward to the present day. It's interesting. You know, on Twitter, there's an account. And you've probably seen it. Gays against grooming. Right. And, of course, yeah. they took them down. Yeah. Well, you can't even say the word grooming now. Right. Yeah. That's the whole 1984 move. They've outlawed the, the word grooming. James Lindsay, who's great, by the way, was had a lifetime is a lifetime ban on Twitter now because he used that word. I mean, wow. that's where we are with language. Wow. Yeah. And that's yeah. That, that, and that's essentially what we're talking about here. Right. When you go into the the, the really dark and creepy stories around CPS. It's it's basically legalized grooming in many cases. Now, there are some CPS people, I'm sure, who try to do a good job, you know, believe in the fact that there are children in environments that are really, really dangerous. And and and, and I think um, Nancy Schaefer, you know, alluded to that and, that, and that's true. So not everybody in CPS is a member of this dark cult. But, but on the other hand, there are so many stories that offset that, that you cannot fail to pay attention to the fact that it's one of these, or, it's one of these government groups and organizations that is out of control and enabled to do so along the way. You know, the other, other so we got a few minutes, we might go into this uh, Boy Scout thing. Okay. Is that on your site? Yeah, Scordian Pinterest destruction of the Boy Scouts of America. All right, or just just inner Boy Scouts. Yep. So, uh, Boy Scouts of America filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection early Tuesday. This is in 2018, as the organization faced 275 abuse lawsuits and potentially additional 1,400 cases to come. 
Having already paid more than $150 million in settlements and legal costs between 2017 and 2019, the Boy Scout hopes to contain the financial damage of the abuse scandal and emerge as a more sustainable organization. So they, they just, once again, it's called the perversion files. They just failed to really run herd over this element that, you know, Anita Bryan is talking about. Yeah, this is cultural Marxism 101. This is the infiltration of the institutions. This is exactly what's happening, right? So they want to go into these institutions and uh, they want to corrupt the institution. That's first and foremost. And then number two, they want to protect the corruptors. That's the other part of this. But see, the Boy Scout was actually keeping a secret record known as the perversion files, which documented reports of scout leaders suspected of raping and sexually uh, abusing boys. These records that were never turned over to authorities to investigate. So somebody, again, within the Boy Scouts, because everybody's afraid of the Lavender Mafia, uh, the confidential files on suspected pederasts maintained by the Boy Scouts contains the name of 7,800 individuals, an attorney for child sex abuse victim said. It goes back to the 70s, 80s, scout leaders across all 50 states. It's been an issue since the Boy Scouts became. Uh, several reports have surfaced over the years regarding incidents of sexual abuse within the Boy Scouts to include incidents of repeat offenders. So there you go on that. You know, they catch them. And they continue to repeat a catch and, re- catch and release. Is catch and release. Yeah. Uh, the issue became serious enough that the Boy Scouts attempted mitigation measures. It developed a youth protection plan, a comprehensive program to educate and prevent abuse. The centerpiece of the program is the two deep leadership criteria, which dictates that no ch- adult can ever be alone with any members. The two deep policy requires that a minimum of two adults be present during all activities to minimize the potential for clandestine abuse. Uh, but that didn't work. A, skill, a right. skilled pedophile who can get children into a situation where they must change clothing or stay with it overnight will almost always succeed in seducing them. When camping, no youth is permitted to sleep in a tent of an adult other than his own parent or guardian. Uh, they kind of ban skinny dipping, so they took some pretty stringent met- methods and it still didn't work. Right. And so there's the declining ranks. It's gone. The Boy Scouts have dropped from almost the memberships has dropped in half since uh, 2008. Right. And didn't they have to uh, accept either, uh, either openly gay Boy Scouts or openly gay yeah, yeah they changed, exactly. Yeah. I have a little picture there. Boy Scouts of America homosexuals performed a victory march at the Gay Pride Parade in New York City on June 28, 2015, because they've been so, so basically no more in the closet. Right. So this, this again, is the uh, long march on the cultural institutions, which is cultural Marxism. And, you know, they basically establish a beachhead here and they took this thing down and they took it over. Now the, now the guy that led the charge against the Boy Scouts is this Attorney General Eric Schneiderman. Schneiderman, so yeah. Schneiderman today announced a settlement with the Boy Scouts to end its policy of excluding openly gay adults from serving as leaders in the organization. 
As part of the settlement, the Boy Scouts agreed to eliminate the standard nationally. Sneederden was born to a Jewish family in New York City. In May 8, on May 2018, he resigned his position as Attorney General after the New Yorker reported that four women had accused him of sexual and physical abuse. Remember that? Yep. Well, Sneederman just happened to be the guy that... Uh, Roy, oh, just role-playing. Oh, just, yeah, just role-playing. Yeah, so he, be, he, he, had, he had to quit his job for some of his proclivities. Wow. And uh, managed... So, so meanwhile, the Mormons who'd been a 500,000-member mainstay and that's they were leaving the organization. So it's just dwindled down the toilet with a lot of lawsuits, settlements. right. right. Yep. No, this, this is, this is the, uh, the march on the cultural institutions. Yeah. I've, uh, I do some shows with, uh, uh, this, uh, uh, gal Nish, who's great. And one of the things that we've talked about on her shows is, you know, you have the Hollywood portrayal of what a Satanist looks like, you know, Anton LaVey and, you know, the whole, you know, creepy satanic look. And it's like, no, that's not what they look like. They look like the people that go to your church that are in, in the Boy Scouts, right? They look absolutely normal. You know, that that is like their role that they're playing. And they're very, it, like the people you think are the pillars of your community are often the exact opposite, right? And this is how these things happen. And it's all about a level of infiltration. It's very, very devious, and very clever. It's about deception. So once these guys got into the Boy Scouts, which, by the way, is intentional, as all these cases started to mount, the Boy Scouts are thinking, I'm sure they're thinking, Jesus, if we get on this path we're and open this thing up, we're going to be in real trouble. And we're going to have to pay out a lot of money. And this thing could really bankrupt us financially and it can bankrupt us morally. So what do they do? They decide we're going to try to put a cap on it. We're going to try to silence it. We're going to try to like, you know, mitigate cut it out. It. Try to mitigate, mitigate it. it. Right. Because, because they're looking at the overall picture of their organization, which by the way, I don't necessarily blame them. Like they're, they're like all of a sudden they figured out, you know, they're infiltrated and now they got to figure out how to deal with that. Um, was that the best way to deal with it? I don't know. I, I, I'd be hard pressed to try to understand what to do at that level. Um, but again, I mean, you've just brought in another institution, right? We have a government institution with CPS. We've got a religious institution with the Catholic Church. We have an out an outsider institution in the porn industry, right? And now you're bringing the Boy Scouts of America in, which is another institution. And we haven't even gotten into youth sports because that's right. a whole other area right. where these right. guys hang out and yeah. i remember yeah. reading um, a lot of a lot of them get involved with these teams don't even have you know sons i was involved in little league but i had a son that was really a great baseball player it's the only reason i was there right <laughs> <You know? laughs> right well i coached my kids baseball right. teams that's how it um, should be yeah um i remember reading the basketball diaries by jim carroll uh which is a great book uh, and he, Jim Carroll's this really odd guy where he's living in New York in the early 60s. And he's, he's on an AAU team. He's a really good basketball player. But he also happens to be a junkie. And one of the things he talks about in that book is how the coach of his AAU team 
you know, gets off with some of the players on the team. And this is not uncommon. Like, Sandusky. So yeah, uh, then you get into Sandusky. Yeah. I mean, that, and that, that thing just goes really deep. And then it's, and I remember during that time too, where it was like the lid was coming off this stuff. And, and Jim Beheim even got like kind of exposed. And one of his assistant coaches at Syracuse was doing the same thing. It's like, whoa, what's going on here? And so, you know, now we have another institution infiltrated youth sports. Like this thing is pervasive, absolutely pervasive. You got the church, you got youth sports, you got the Boy Scouts, you've got CPS, you got the outliers and, and the porn industry. I mean, and you have drag, you have drag, uh, drag queen story hour. At the now that's the normalization. <laughs> we're in the normalization phase, right? Yeah. There are phases, right, where you take down a country. And Yuri Bezman, Yuri Bezmanov, the ex KGB guy, talks about this, and he says. The final phase of the end of an empire is normalization, where all these, you know, theoretically depraved, not even theoretical, they're depraved activities and customs and mores become part of the mainstream. They become normalized. But that's where we are now. This is the whole theater of drag queen story hour. It presents normalization. And, and there's a trail of blood that leads to this as we've gone over tonight. Right. With all these people who, who either have been killed and sacrificed physically, or in the case of Anita Bryant, completely ruined. Right. So, yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think in some ways, you know, to, to kind of put a bow on this, it has to come out. Like it has to come out. We need to know about these things. You know, or the history we, of it, yeah. The, the history, history of, of it. it. We need to understand it because if we're ever going to get on the other side of this thing, right, we can't just put our heads in the sand and, and, and deny it, right? We need to understand it and no matter how horrific it is. And, and it's pretty horrific. If people really knew, by the way, if they were to pull back the curtain on this thing and people were able to see like the depth, the depravity, and, 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 the, and the widespread ubiquity of it, they would freak out. They would freak out. Everything that they understand about the normalcy of their life would just go out the door. So, you know, we have to, we have to expose this to some degree so that it can get out of the system. We got to flush this stuff. And the only way that we're going to be able to flush it is for it to come up. And we're going to see more of it. I guarantee you, we're going to see more of this over the course of the next year. Well, in the meantime, if you're a parent and you have young boys in particular, it looks like uh, better watch out for sending them to church. Better watch out for putting them into Boy Scouts. Better watch out about watch out for youth sports. Youth sports yeah. is not. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Now, my experience with locking, youth sports, in them, locking them up in their house with no activity at all. Oh, it's terrible. You know, and then they get then they get into video game world. And that's a whole other discussion and story. Um, but I think we need to get through this, right? And discussions like this and your research is really important because it shows how it's so pervasive and connected across all these different sectors of our society. And then they change the law. They change the language. You know, you can't say groomer, right? Uh, you know, and poor means psychologically poor, not economically poor, 
you know, now we're into 1984 land, protecting the families, the Child Adoption and Family Protection Act. Oh, really? Is that what that's about? No. It's about the inversion of that. So we're, we're really in this thing now. We are really in the clutches of this crucible of culture change. And people are waking up without a doubt. And even my good friend Nish, you know, who I've just mentioned, um, her political awakening has been startling. You know, because she was, you know, kind of in this fringe area and looking at things from what I call more of a liminal space. And now she's waking up and going, holy pajama, shit. Pajama person. Yeah, she's waking up and she's, you know, having this major transformation, which I heartily welcome. It's great to see on, on her part. Um, so I think that there's some, I think there's some hope and some optimism here. And everybody will ask, well, what do we do? You know, what do we do about it? Well, you just said, you, you got to watch out where, where you, you know, you leave your kids. That's really important. That's number one. Uh, and after that, you have to just, you know, create stronger, uh, stronger moral and philosophical bonds with, with your children, which is hard to do these days, by the way, it's not easy. Yeah. You know, one institution that we actually should include in this list is schools. Well, there's That's schools, the big yeah. one. That's the big yeah. one. It's a huge one. And now, my God. I mean, it's like, it's crazy. It's crazy the amount of protection um, that teachers are afforded in schools now. And again, what are we looking at? The, you know, the, the march of these cultural institutions, the teachers that we have now in public schools are there intentionally. They have been placed there. They have been educated. Their job now is to destroy the institution. Their job is to destroy the bonds between the child and their parents. And it is not by happenstance. I mean, in the church, in the, in the Catholic Church, a lot of the old line priests, who a lot of them were craftsmen. They had a lot of them had crafts. Pretty impressive individuals. Yeah, they they flushed them out. Right. Right. There's, there's actually a book. You know, where have all the good men gone? It's a book uh, written by uh, I forget his name. Excellent book about the the basically the removal of the old police true priest class. Right. So this is an interesting point you bring up. And um, I kind of mentioned it a little bit when you had that tweet on the building that they were doing the repair to in the square in Prague. Right. And I remember one day I was, I was at this restaurant in uh, Newton, Newtown, Pennsylvania. And I was just sitting around looking at people and I remember seeing this one guy walk through the restaurant and my head off this guy, he was older and you could just tell he was an old school guy, right? The way that he dressed, the way that he carried himself. I'm like, you know, this guy is part of a vanishing breed, you know, and when that's, they that's go. Why I t- that's why I took that photo. Yeah. It's just kind of that photo across the street there. About half a dozen craftsmen working on this rest- restoration of this building, and you right. can go to my tweet to see it. Yeah, you can't really see, you can't really make them out. I couldn't really make them out too much in the photo. They're all old guys, right? And so why do you think this is happening? Why do you think this is happening now, and not thirty years ago? Because those old guys were still around, and they weren't as old. Well, you would think they would have some apprentices or something with them, you know, younger guys. But that, nobody wants to do that. They want to, everybody wants to work at Starbucks or. Well, everybody wants to be uh, an internet star. 
They all want, right. they all want to, TikTok. they all want to have, you know, social clout. Um, and this gets back to the story I've told about my father who passed away in 2010. And I know, I know your dad was probably cut from the same cloth. Like my dad would be losing his shit right now in this world. I'm glad he passed away actually. I mean, not glad cause I'd like to have him in my life, but no, you know, you know, this is no country for old men. I mean, this is what's happening. Right. So, so this is all planned. This is all part of the planned demolition so that, you know, they can move the, they could wait, they could wait, they could wait. And then the people that would be in the way, it's like when Obama shit canned all those generals back in, what was that? 20, 2014, right. Right? right? He shit canned all those generals. Uh, and, and then he brought in his own, his own people. Why? Because those generals had an allegiance to a different point in time, right? And they had a different. Yeah, um, he pur- he purged them. That was a that was a big event. And who knows what he brought in? Well, it you know, it like was. He, it looks like to me like they brought in a lot of uh, perverts. So this gets this this totally gets into um, God, what's what's her name? Oh man, uh, she did the six hour video. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, what I'm talking about. Um, yes, absolutely. Uh, her hu- her husband was the colonel. Oh God! Come on, come on, come on. It'll come to me. Anyway, she talks about she talks about inside of the armed forces, right? She talks about the pink brigade, and that you know all these guys inside the military are actually queer, right? Not all of them, but in conjunction to make, with her to, to make it hot, to make it up the ranks. Yeah, K. Griggs, K. Griggs, as you were talking about. If you haven't seen the K. Griggs interview, I highly recommend it because she names names, she pulls back the curtain, and so essentially what Obama did is he said, "Okay, well, we're going to promote these guys." Well, you know, the first time I saw K. Griggs, I did, I just kind of dismissed her. I was kind of early in my development, but then yeah. I rewatched her again. I went, "Wow, she was so over the target." way over the target i mean it's like it's about a six hour i I just thought at first i just thought it was too much because i still had some residual pajama person in me i said come on this can't be true right but but she goes into so much detail (laughs) so you can't just make this up she even talks about steve kerr's dad in that video right what happened with him in beirut yep so um it's highly recommended but this is what's happening now they, they had to wait until a period of time when a certain age group of men who were quote unquote men, right. Began to get cycled out of the system. There's no mistake about this. And now they're moving forward without, without as much resistance as they, as they uh, would have encountered say 30 years ago. So getting back to your guys, you know, working on the church, what happens when they go, right? There's really nobody coming up behind them to fix that church or to do the repairs, which puts us into the great reset. They want to get rid of all these buildings. When you get into the, you know, the hardcore, um, you know, green economy uh, and green initiative stuff, like all these buildings are unsafe. So they want to just completely tear all these buildings down and the new buildings that they'll build will be part of smart grid cities and that they will be essentially built, controlled and repaired by AI, either internally 
or they will have the robotics that will come in and the buildings will be built to scale so that they can perform the functions. This is where it's all going. They won't need anybody coming up. And then we'll be moved into this, you know, time machine reality, you know, where you have these, the cast of the two society or the twin cast of the society, the people who are basically children. Um, and then you have these kind of brutal savages who occupy the outer lands, right? So this is where this is all going. Does that mean it's going to happen? Well, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm an optimist. And I, and I feel like that ultimately at the end of the story here, uh, they're not going to be entirely successful with their plans because too many people are waking up. And uh, that's, that's just my own two cents. Well, let's see how long this video lasts on YouTube. <laughs> well, it's, it, should, it should last for a while. It should be under the radar, <laughs> I think. Whether or not they promote it with the algorithm, that's a whole other story, right? Because <laughs> that's what happens now. They just determine what they want to promote. And if they don't think it's going to fit their algorithm or their audience, it won't show up in people's recommendations. It'll just be kind of, you know, ghosted in a lot of ways. It's, fun, it's funny on YouTube. I, I constantly see our old uh, shows showing up on my feed. Recommended well, feed. I th so what, what's hap what happens sometimes I've actually seen this, I've seen views go down where I said, what, what's this happened? We had X number of views and now we're going down. I don't get that. I don't understand that. But it's a, it's a necessary tool to get information out there for now. Um, let's talk about your website, which is a great website, winnerwatch.net. If you want to find out more about articles that we've just scrolled yeah, through. Yeah, I will, I, will, I will, after the show, uh, before I go to bed, I'll put this show up and it'll have all the links to the articles that we talked about. You can go into different more detail on them yeah and then, what we discussed usually what i do uh with the friday show is i turn it into also a podcast and then i put that podcast up on my website and it gets distributed through itunes and google and iHeartRadio. so there'll be other ways to access the show well russ we'll see you again yeah well, now, now, now next month let's go back to we'll do sigmund freud we'll do freud i talked about him a little bit uh, earlier in the week on my other show and how uh, he was outed very early on with uh, the Viennese, uh, uh, you know, um, ruling class. And we get into the, into well, the some, of his, some of his biggest opponents ended up being Jewish. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll give people a bit of a tease here and I know that you know this, but when Freud, when the, when the Viennese, nobility or the upper class started to send their daughters to Freud. And this really ties into what we're talking about here, by the way, that Freud realized that all these girls were being molested by their parents, right? That's what happened. And he thought, Hmm, I figured out why they're having such a hard time. And he started to talk about it and he started to get flack. So he said, well, I need to remain socially relevant. So I got to come up with a theory about why they're experiencing discomfort instead of talking about the truth. And that's where we have the birth of Freudian psychology. So Freud was a gatekeeper and started the, the biggest, maybe the biggest cover-up of all time and created a whole school of psychotherapy around it. More in, more in a month. More, in a month. <laughs> more on that. <laughs> all right, Russ, always a pleasure. You take care of yourself. 
And uh, okay. we'll, we'll see you in the final week of October. Okay. All right. Night, everybody. Bye-bye. All right. That is the great Russ Winter. And uh, it's always good to have him on the show. Long show today. Lot of lot of ground to cover. And I know for some people, it might be uncomfortable. Okay. It might be a very uncomfortable uh, territory. Some people have experienced some of this stuff personally. So it can be really triggering. And there are people who watch this program, both male and female, who are, who are gay. This is no indictment around you. Uh, I've had a number of people, both male and female, who are gay who have spoken out against this practice, vehemently spoke, spoken out against this practice. So there are gradations, right? There are gradations here. So this is not an indictment on anyone personally, but this is an indictment on a particular cast within the culture, which has been absolutely mobilized. And when you blend the two together and you bring in the social, social Marxist component and the march of the revolutions and the destruction of these, sorry, the institutions and the destruction of the institutions, and you can see what this has done, and all of a sudden, it begins to make a lot of sense. And then we get into the spiritual and energetic exploitation of children. Children are batteries. This is why they're prized. They are batteries. There's something about the energy of a, of a child, which is untainted, and the innocence around that child, which makes them all the more um, desired by people who want to tap into that battery. So we got to protect the, we got to protect these kids. It's, it's, it's essential. It's very essential. So if you're a parent or a parent to be, you know what you got to do, right? You got to, you just got to, you got to put an invisible fence around your kids, which might even include not allowing them to take part in public school education. And even private schools have been compromised. James Lindsay has pointed that out. Uh, it's another great channel. If you want to get more info on the march through these cultural institutions, Lindsay's your guy. He's your guy. He'll take you through it step by step by step by step and bring you right up to the present. And, and he'll show you the Trojan horse that has been let through the gates of the city wall. So I think that's about it for today. Uh, we'll be back on Sunday night with Sunday Night Astro Live. If you are a paid subscriber uh, to this, you can support this show, by the way. Uh, I've got a $5, $10, $20 level. If you're a paid subscriber, tomorrow we're going to have a connection and get together. And uh, you should have received a newsletter that tells you all about that. And uh, you'll probably even get to have a, a more intimate one-on-one -on -one connection with the astrological cat. We hope we'll be there for that. Okay, so until then, until Saturday, Sunday night, use your head in order to serve what's real, your heart to say what's possible. Thank you all for your kindness, your love, your support. Uh, we're all in it together, right? We're in it to win it together. Take care. Bye for now.